0: We're going to start at the end of uh, Hebrews chapter 8 because that's where we left off last week, and it runs right into Hebrews chapter 9. We are in the season right now of learning in Hebrews about God's great plan for the people of Israel and what the blood was to accomplish. Somebody say the blood. Somebody say cleansed by the blood. Amen. We are cleansed by the blood. As you're turning to Hebrews chapter 8, verse 13, notice what he says here. Paul, I believe, the author, says, by calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete. And what is obsolete and outdated will soon what? Somebody say disappear. Amen. Now, this is the reason why I believe the book of Hebrews was written before the destruction of the temple of Jerusalem they at that time were still seen the jewish people notice the name hebrews it's not about a guy brewing his own beer in his backyard okay you know hebrews Little pastor joke there. It's not about you making coffee in the morning. Hebrews. Hebrews is about a Jewish, the Jewish people. Can I hear an amen for that? Okay, so everybody tracking with that, right? Now, notice this. He says to them, the reason why there's a new covenant is because the old covenant is outdated and obsolete, and look at it will soon disappear. Highlight that, please. That means they must still see something that hasn't disappeared yet. They must still be seeing animal sacrifices. They must still be seeing a temple. That's an inter or what we call an internal validation of a date that we're proposing. So we're looking at the book of Hebrews, wondering the author. I think it's Paul. Different uh, message I've gotten into that. But here we're looking at the date. We now believe they're still seeing the temple. Why is that important? Because the Jewish people had a prophetic promise that the Messiah would come while the temple was still standing. Okay, so go with me to Daniel chapter 9 quickly. In Daniel chapter 9, the Hebrew people... The Israelite people needed to see the Messiah come in the time of the second temple. Now scroll on down there to the latter part of chapter 9 for us, please. Daniel chapter 9, the prophecy is made known around verse 26. After the 62 sevens, the anointed one will be put to death and will have nothing. Everybody say the anointed one. Amen. We don't have to get into all the sevens. We've gotten to that before. Okay, there's a chart on our website. You can look at the sevens of the end times, uh, totaling 490 years. But look, let me just, because I get, I get so excited when I get it. Let's just back it up. Let everybody say back it up. Boop, boop, boop. Let's just back it up in verse 25, because I just love this portion. It's just so amazing how God gave this to the people of Israel. Know and understand this. From the time, go, from the, time the word goes out to restore and rebuild what? Jerusalem, okay, so notice Jerusalem has to be restored and rebuilt, and the temple has to be rebuilt as well, because now notice here that when you see that the anointed one is put to death, it says, the people of the ruler will come and destroy the city and the what? Oh, it got quiet. It, it, look, did I say the right verse, 26? I, I believe I did. I'm going to go back and listen to myself, but I, I think I did. At, at the end of 26, it says, the people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the what? What? All right, there you go. Man, I've never had that many people miss it. I will go back and figure out. Did I say the wrong verse? You all weren't with me on that one. Okay, but here it is. After the 62 sevens, the anointed one will be put to death. That's what we know as the Messiah anointed one is right there. The people of the ruler will come and watch. We'll destroy the city and the what? Sanctuary. So that means when Jerusalem is rebuilt, what also has to be rebuilt? Okay. Okay. Now everybody just pause right here. Who is the only person we have in the running to be a Messiah that came to the temple before it was destroyed by 70 A.D.? That's it. Who else do we have besides that? Do you all get the problem that the Jewish people today are in? their temple was destroyed. That one that Daniel had prophesied to him, Daniel watched the first temple, known as Solomon's temple, get destroyed. He watched that happen. That's why now he's in Babylon. A lot of times we tell the stories of Daniel in in Babylon. Did you all wonder how he got there? He got there because his city got destroyed, his temple got destroyed and he was taken into slavery. Now that he's there, he's given a promise of going back there and rebuilding and having a new temple. And then when that promise is given, the four hundred 90 years or the 77s are all set up, it's right there. Somebody say, it's right there. Amen. Amen. Just put up that timeline for them, please, that nice timeline that we borrow from another ministry. It's also on our website. The timeline is set. So when we look at the book of Hebrews, it's important to understand these are not Christians. After seeing the temple be destroyed, now try to make up a story to get Jesus to be the fulfillment of something. That's what people used to say before they did archaeology. Everybody track with me. If you were somebody who was skeptical of Christianity and wanted to disprove it, what would you say about our Jesus making a prophecy about the destruction of the temple? Oh, that came afterward. That would be like you right now writing a prophecy in 2023 about 9-11. And a couple hundred years from now, people forgetting when you were born and when you wrote it. Everybody tracking with me? That's what the skeptics said about Christianity. Oh, Jesus, he saw the temple destroyed. Or the Christians who made up a Jesus figure, they saw it already. Then they put in their notes, oh, this man named Jesus, he prophesied about. But they already knew that. And then they'll say the same thing about Hebrews. You see, this Christian belief is formulated around trying to make up for the fact that the sacrifices aren't there anymore. So where's your sacrifices? Uh, 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 well, this man Jesus is our sacrifice. Well, where's your temple? Uh, well, well, we're the temple now. So they try to say Christians made this up after the fact of being so butthurt because they got whooped on and beaten up by the Romans that these people now wanted to make something out of their hero. He was their brave heart. So they told all these legends about him that he knew about a destruction of the temple. They told all these legends, but no, the Bible says before Jesus was born, and he started his earthly ministry, and we know he's pre-existent as God in the, you know, the God the Son. But here we see Daniel getting the whole prophecy. Everybody say prophetic. It's not pathetic like them. It's prophetic. Amen. The world is pathetic when they try to come up with reasons to disbelieve in Christianity. But you are prophetic. You are not superstitious. You are supernatural. There is a difference. Okay, it is a pathetic uh, a guesswork to try to say these boys made this up. No, no, no. Daniel, we know for a fact, came before the destruction of the temple. So going back, please, to Daniel chapter 9. Notice it here that there, I mean, just get the depth, the depth of this. That's why I, I just can never brush through this one. That's why I love Daniel. I love Daniel. Daniel has already seen his temple destroyed. Daniel has already seen his city destroyed. And now he gets a prophecy that they're going to rebuild the city and rebuild the temple. Everybody go, yeah. But in that same prophecy, he's told they're going to destroy that one. Are <laughs> you all getting this? You're going to go back and rebuild it. Look at it. Look at it, verse 25, at the end there. It will be rebuilt. It will be rebuilt. You see it being rebuilt? Okay, but then look a little bit down out of verse 26. And the ruler will come and destroy the city. Which one? The one we just rebuilt. Imagine starting off your day like that. I'm going to build a city that somebody's going to destroy. <laughs> Oh, man, I'm waiting for a Messiah that they're going to kill. I mean, but that's how the Jewish people had to reconcile these things. If they're going to be honest, they will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end will come like a flood. War will continue unto the end. That's what we're waiting for. And desolations have been decreed. Now, let's go back to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 13. At the end of chapter 8, verse 13, what does the author say? By calling this covenant new that was just prophesied in the verses earlier, by uh, calling this covenant new, he made the first one obsolete, and what is obsolete and outdated will what? Soon disappear. Please get both words in there, my brother. Soon disappear. That means the Jewish people were still going to a temple thinking, it's going to happen, it's going to happen. He might not have been the right one, but it's going to happen. How many know something did happen? But it wasn't what they thought was going to happen. They got their temple destroyed again. They got their city destroyed again. They went into captivity again. And guess what? They didn't come back to the land of Israel till after the Holocaust, after World War II, y'all. And you think that's a coincidence that this people group was without their land for almost 2,000 years as God prophesied? You think that's an accident that they got kicked out for that long and remained a nation? You don't even know who the Hittites are, the Midianites. You don't even know all these ancient people groups. And yet Israel, just as small if not smaller than many of them, kept its national identity without land. And then they get it back at a certain time? Brother and sister, that's why we call this the end times. You want to know why I believe in the end times? It's just not because of some scary person on TV. I believe in the end times because the nation of Israel got back their land. And there is a third one being rebuilt, a temple. And when that temple, that third one is rebuilt, the Antichrist will come and fulfill his role, and the end will come. So read your Bible. They've had three, or they've had two, and they had the third one on the way. And you can research right now. Jewish people rebuild the temple, all of these things they're trying to do. It will happen. Now, I believe in a rapture before that. Beam me up, Jesus, and take me home. But if I'm wrong and I stay here through it, I'm ready to live for Jesus and see some cool stuff come down. It's got to happen, amen? I'm ready to see some meteors fall from the sky. I'm ready to see some frog spirits possessing people. I'm ready to see, I'm ready to see all the drinkable water, a thorn of it, turn to blood. I'm ready for some Moses-type stuff. Y'all ready? I'll just be eating my popcorn because he said he's going to protect me, amen? Then they come, they behead us. I'm ready to meet Jesus, so rapture or not, I'm ready to meet Jesus. Now, this is what we got to do. we got to read the rest now of today's lesson, which is the entire chapter, chapter 9. And I think it's going to be beneficial, especially for those who have been coming regularly, because it's a summary of everything that we've learned. And then... Next week, by God's grace, we will conclude the book of Leviticus and its uh, interpretation into the New Testament, its fulfillment. And I've asked you guys to read the book of Leviticus, which I know for many, it's it's not the coolest thing. I was sitting in our 201 evaluation today because, yes, we do evaluate and inspect what we expect. Somebody say, inspect what you expect. Amen. So we have, uh, you know, uh, discipleship evaluations. And you know what a lot of them were saying? I haven't read my whole Bible yet. And then we asked them, which one are you struggling with? Old Testament, books of the law. Got to get into it. It should be interesting when you see it from the New Testament point of view. Amen. You, you should be interested in understanding why Leviticus was there to begin with, it was there for the priesthood of Levi. The people of Aaron and his relatives to do the things of God to show us what salvation would look like when the new one would come through Jesus Christ. That's why when he said this is my body and this is my blood, he's not saying let's be cannibals now. What he is saying is this now fulfills everything y'all have been doing with all of those sacrifices and all those holy days. And as a matter of fact, brother, do me a favor. Put up last week's uh, message and at the bottom I got some preaching points there on the notes. I'd like to go over. There's, uh, please and thank you. I know I got you working back there. Let's give it up for Rudy, doing amazing. He's awesome. He's the Latino Fabio back there, making it happen. You got the best. You got the best, girl. He's a married man, happily married, happily married. Okay, uh, and, and let's go to this last one at the end from, from, from last week, these points, because when you go through the Bible, you're going to see things that seem strange, but when you see it through the lens of Jesus, you put on your Jesus glasses, it's not going to seem so strange. Like, why did they have certain diets? Is because we were learning about Jesus, that Jesus is the word and the bread of life. We eat what he gives us. We don't go to the pagans for our substance. We go to our God. Amen? Amen. That's what it was. That's what they were learning through their diet. Why don't we dress like everybody else? Because Jesus don't look like everybody else. Jesus has a way about him that is different. Why do Why is there always a blood sacrifice? Why is there always something to do with, uh, you know, an animal dying? Man, poor animals, poor, poor these cows. You know, getting killed and all this, getting blood split spilled everywhere. What? What is that? It's to show us that Jesus is going to spill his blood for us because we deserve to die. When you were watching the, Levit, the, the Levitical priesthood do literally like butchering of animals in front of you. Have y'all you ever seen an animal get butchered by the way? It's messy. I've watched, I watched my grandfather disembowel a rabbit that he caught. It was gross, man. I got freaked out. I mean, he's just, you know, cutting the thing open, throwing out the guts, letting the blood go on the ground, dog licking it up. Has anybody ever seen something like that? A lot of city folks right here, but some of you have. Now listen to me. It's gross and it's crazy, but what is it to show us? Like we deserve that. Everything about us, just think about this, this dust that is animated with blood flowing through it, it is, it is not something we get to control. It is something that is given to us as a gift. And if we don't give it back to God, we don't get God's eternal life. So that's what you were supposed to see when you saw the bloody mess of the, uh, of the sacrifice. You were supposed to say, man, that's supposed to be me. I'm supposed to be a puddle of blood all strung up and and." and, and you know, shaked and baked everywhere, but God had mercy on me. Somebody say, but Jesus. Amen. So when you look at the Old Testament, what do you see? Jesus is the burnt offering. He's our Savior. In the meal offering, he's our substance. In the, uh, if you can make a little bit bigger, brother, in the fellowship offering, what else is he? He's our security. In the sin offering, he's our substitute. In the guilt offering, he's our satisfaction. In the Passover, he's the Lamb of God. In the Feast of Unleavened Bread, he's the bread of life. In the Feast of first fruits, he's the first born of the Father. In the feast of Pentecost, he's the Lord of the harvest. You guys were shouting better last week. This must be boring this week. In the feast of the trumpets, he's the coming king. In the day of atonement, he's the atoning sacrifice for sin. In the feast of the tabernacles, he's the new dwelling place. In the temple's outer court, think about this, he's the sacrifice at the brazen laver and the one who cleanses at the, uh, he's the sacrifice at the brazen altar and the one who cleanses at the brazen laver. In the holy place, he gives the bread of his word at the table of showbread, sends the Holy Spirit at the seven golden candlesticks and intercedes for us at the altar of incense. His flesh is in the veil that is torn to give us fellowship between the father and himself. He's in the holy, holy sitting on the mercy seat with his father, surrounded and worshiped by angels because of the blood he shed to save his people. Jesus is our curse on the tree, the blessing of Abraham, our priest and king, savior and judge. Amen. I'm preaching better than your shouting, but I guess you didn't get a lot of sleep last night. That's okay. I forgive you and I'll do it with or without you. But y'all better be excited about that. I'm just being honest. You need to be excited about that. I'm not just saying because, you know, we're not stoning you and that's a good thing. And that's pretty cool that we don't stone people anymore. I would have been stoned as a rebellious kid. But I'm saying you need to be excited about what Jesus fulfilled. Otherwise, you just have make-believe. You see, when people accuse us of just making up a religion and saying, this is what we do, and then someone over here makes up a religion, that's what they do. You see, when they talk to us like that, they're talking down to us. They're saying, all y'all religious people are the same. And what do they mean by that? All of you guys are like fighting over Marvel versus DC. Who's your favorite guy? Is it Thor? Is it Iron Man? Is it Muhammad or Jesus? See, what they're saying is you guys are all just playing make-believe. And all make-believe LARPers, live-action role-play people, you all just need to get along. That's what they're saying. They're talking down to us. But you see, Christianity doesn't believe that. Do you believe that? Do you believe you're following a, a make-believe story here? No, you're following a story, think about this, rooted in history. It's rooted in history. Were there the Israelite people? Absolutely. Did they live by these codes? Absolutely. And we talked about it last week. Why in the world would an Israelite choose these codes to live by when everybody around them is doing the exact opposite? As I said before last week, it's a great sermon. You guys should check it out. Maybe get some amens in you there. Amen? Come on. I think you might get excited again if you listen to it because it really blessed me. I'm I'm getting blessed by this. I'm learning. Think about it. Hey, guys, Egyptians, Babylonians, Assyrians, I know you're bigger, cooler than us, and you kick our butts all the time. But, hey, we're starting a new religion. You want to hear about it? Yeah, yeah, I want to hear about it. Well, our religion, we believe in one God. You mean you don't believe in all these other guys? No, we just believe in one, just one. Okay, show us your God. Here's all of our idols. Here's our naked gods. Here's our gods having sex. Here's our gods doing it. We have pictures of everything. Seriously, there are pornographic images over these temples. Where's your God? Well, we don't draw pictures of them. You can't see them. Do you understand how crazy that is at that time? You're competing with the gods of Egypt. Have you ever seen pictures of Egypt? Have you ever watched the cartoon? Have you ever seen, you know, how it looked during that time of Moses? Anybody ever seen the cartoon of Moses? You know what I'm saying? I mean, put it up there for me, please. Put up that. Dude, put up some of these screenshots here. Dude, Egypt was a humongous nation. I'm taking it down to cartoon level. You all ready for this? I'm serious. You ever seen Ben-Hur? Egypt was huge. Egypt had gods built the size. Let me think about like the Statue of Liberty and then that being a god. These people had their gods displayed everywhere. They believed their people. The pharaohs were god. And here, here's the Israelites. Oh well, yeah, we believe in God, but only one. And then we don't draw pictures of them. And then, uh, and they're like, "Well, what do your gods do? Our gods do this. Our gods do that." Like I'm saying, from pornographic stuff to wars to soap opera, you know, envelas or whatever. Well, that's how do you say this? the, the novelas. Thank you. Uh, we, we got all of this stuff going on. And then what what do the gods of the Israel? What does the God of the Israelite do? Well, he created us. Look at a massive size. of this. this is not the cartoon, but we'll start here. We'll go to actual history. Go to this one right here for me, please. Imagine standing before there going, I believe in God. These guys are not it, and you can't see my God. What benefit did the Israelites get from that? Starting a little old cult. I, I gave you some examples in the previous service about why Mormonism started. They get benefits out of that. You know, you're know, you a Mormon. You get a lot of wives. You get to take over some land. You get to go into the, you know, the, the, the West and live however you, however, you, however you want. Islam, they had a lot of benefits in starting a cult there in Arabia. He got to go to war. He got to get a lot of wives as well. Notice the similarities there. Notice this, Christianity comes out of places like this when it was Rome, and then Judaism comes out of places like this, which of course we believe goes back to the creation of the world. But I'm saying when Moses is getting the Ten Commandments, was Moses is saying, let my people go so they can go into the wilderness, this is what he's standing in front of. He's going to meet with a guy where his ancestors are, looked like Godmen, and he's going to walk in there and say, hey... My God told you to let my people go. Where is your God? You can't see him. What does he look like? I have no idea. He's a spirit. I've talked to him in a bush before. Why would you do that? Why would you make this up? And then, by the way, we're going to do a lot of things totally opposite of you guys. We're not going to eat pork. You guys love lechon. We're not eating it. We're not going to dress like you. We're not going to cut our hair like you. We're going to let our sides of the beards grow out while you're letting your billy goat beard grow out. We're going to grow from the sides. You ever seen the Jewish people with the the little locks coming down? We're going to look different than you. We're going to be different than you. We're going to go out into the wilderness and worship our God. And he's not like your God. And then they're looking at him like he's crazy. And then in real history, what happens? Our God starts to kick their God's butts. Starts to just destroy the land of Egypt. And these are real historical facts. There are now more evidences towards the exodus than there ever have been. Look at it online and find Christian resources. Of course, you can always find people doubting the faith. But look at those of us who take archaeology serious and take history serious. And look at how they're now proving these things of the exodus. And it matches with the time of Israel. Going back to our notes here, that's an amazing covenant. That's the old covenant. Why now does God want to change that? That was something that was literally established out of obscurity. Everybody was against these people. Everybody tried to kill these people. These people were monotheists in the midst of polytheism. These people were living holy during the midst of orgies and perversion. Why are they now going to just make it up and and say now someone replaced it? Well, Jesus just replaced it. Jesus just took it away. I don't have to worry about it. us say you talk to most Christians these days. Well, that's that Old Testament stuff. I don't know about that, but I'm with Jesus. In the Old Testament, it was like God before coffee. He was a little mean. Now he's like, cool. Guys, you're missing the entire point. I love the Old Testament. The Old Testament tells me how awesome God is, how big his power is, how, how detailed he is. The New Testament shows us how deep he wants to go into our hearts. You see, what he was doing, if you go back please to the Egyptian picture, is he was rivaling that with that which was unseen, and he was showing that which is unseen is greater than what you see. When you look to the beginning of our Bible, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the spirit of the Lord was across the, uh, upon the face of the deep. Do you know why that language is there? It's because all of these people, all of these religions started with a deep abyss, and then from there came their gods and how do we tell our story? In the beginning, our God is over that abyss. There is nothing that comes out of that that rivals him. He creates everything from there. In other words, our God is not a created God. Our God is not a force like Star Wars. Our God is not an ooze that comes out of it like in Spider-Man. No, no, no. Our God created all of this, and then the how does the story go from there? How does it fall? It falls because angels fall and then humans fall. And so what, why does the world look as wicked as it does? The world looks as wicked as it does is because this is what it looks like when humanity in partnership with what we now know as demons takes over the land. Now when Jesus comes, what does he do? Jesus does exactly the opposite, once again, of everybody of his time. Put up the Roman pantheon of gods. Roman pantheon of gods, please. Seriously, even most of our Marvel comic books take after these guys. Some of them by the same name, Thor, right? Asgard and these things. The Roman pantheon of gods was basically like the top players of your Pokemon game. Everybody you wanted on your team was up there, Apollo and all of these guys. And how does Jesus come to the Roman Empire? What does he say? I'm going to now die. Well, what's going to be your great feat? What is going to be the thing that you're going to do? What here, put, on, put on this one if we can take the nudity a little bit here. I guess in church it will be art. Here's a naked whatever that is. That has nothing to do, I think, with what we're talking. Oh, gods of ancient Rome. I was like, what is that? Okay, how many are done with the nudity now? Okay. But click on this one, click on this, and this is the one I really wanted. But that's maybe them hanging out with a naked God or some kind. But remember, I told you that before, right? I just didn't recognize that picture, but I know they love to show their God's nude. Okay, so here you go, all of this right here. Okay, Jesus, he's your God? Yeah, what does he do? He dies. Hello, are you listening to me? How do you compete with those gods? Imagine that right now. Let's make, let's make uh, you know, Jesus show up to the, uh, the multiverse. Let's have Jesus show up here to the Marvel world. What's he going to do? He's going to die. He's just going to die. That's what, he's, that's what our God's going to do. He's going to come and die. Miserably, humiliating. The death on the cross at that time was humiliating, worse than what we would think of an electrocution, worse than what we would think of a hanging. This kind of death was, Romans couldn't even kill other Romans this way. This was the way that they treated the other people groups, the ones they didn't like, and then out of that group, it was the worst of them. This is what we do to shame the nations. This is what we do to other people groups, not our own, to show how brutal we can be so don't mess with us. And that's what happens to Jesus. That's what Jesus goes through. Now, don't you think at some point the Christians might have said to themselves, hey, guys, we need to change up this story a little bit. We need to have, like, Jesus do some cosmic warfare with Jupiter. We need to, like, amp this up a little bit. No. And then what do they do? They point to the Old Testament. Go to Isaiah 53, please. They point to these places. I'm about ready to read it. Trust me. It's like, if you're like, let's get into the Bible and get out of Marvel. We're getting there. I'm going to read to you, I believe, 28 verses straight, okay? You're going to get a lot of Bible here in a minute, but I just want to put it in context because some Christians do not understand why there is a New Testament, why there is this portion of our Bible, and then why there is this portion. They don't understand. You see, that portion we call the Old Testament was setting up Jesus to do what nobody else would ever do. Because what does he do after he dies? What happens after his death, my friends? He raises from the dead. Anybody who says there was dying and rising gods in Rome have not read those dying and rising gods stories. There is no story about a God dying and rising like Jesus Christ. Do not let zeitgeist or comparative religion like Jesus had 12 and Osiris had 12 disciples. Don't let them mess with you like that. All of that is make-believe on their side to try to point to our Jesus. Their own writings do not have those things in there. People did that to make you be suspect of Jesus, and they lied even on those other gods. There is no person ever in history to be reliable like Jesus, a person of history to have lived, to have been believed to be raised from the dead, and to have followers who actually believed it, not people who told make-believe stories, he came back in the form of a lion or these different stories that those gods had, and they try to compare it to Jesus. No, no, no. The disciples literally believed Jesus was a man of history, history shows that to be true, and they believed he was killed under Pontius Pilate in a grave that was named, they didn't just say any old grave, Joseph of Arimathea's grave, and then he came up from that grave. As a matter of fact, as time went on in the Roman Empire and they took Christianity serious, they began to research where that grave was. And we now have two sites where we believe it was at because of the different stories that came out of that. But we know that that grave was assigned. It was known to the people at that time. And they know that that grave was empty. So they made up stories to come against us. Oh, he never really was dead. Or the disciples stole the body and these things. But the disciples were very clear in their testimonies. We would not have worshiped him if we had stolen the body. You ever seen Weekend at Bernie's? Weekend at Bernie's is an old movie where the guys go up to hang out with their boss, but their boss dies. And instead of leaving the resort where they're at with their boss, they take their boss around as a corpse to every place where they could go so they could still enjoy the weekend. Weekend at Bernie's. Okay, the disciples are not doing a weekend at Bernie's. Let's just drag Jesus along, call him our Messiah, so that we can start a new religion. No, no, no. They are saying, "Go to First John chapter one, please." John the Apostle, First John chapter one. He says, "Those." Uh, he says to the one we have touched. And handled who our eyes have seen, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. Do you guys understand that? He touched Jesus. He saw Jesus. Jesus is not a myth to John. When the Roman Empire became Christian, don't believe all these conspiracies about the Da Vinci Code. When the Roman Empire first became Christian, it was not by force, but by the change of their heart. Roman Catholicism, and as we know it to this day, took years of transformation from the original church to that time when they started appointing popes, bishops, and started seizing control over the other churches. But when you look at Christianity coming to Rome, we were being killed. We were being martyred. Don't you think at some point the disciples would have said, man, we made it up. We were doing weekend at Bernie's. Don't you think the disciples would have at some point said, hey, it was just metaphorical. We didn't mean he actually raised from the dead. It was metaphorical. No, look at Isaiah 53, please. Look at it. They're going back to these scriptures and they're saying, look at this, Isaiah, hundreds of years before Jesus. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering, familiar with pain, like one from whom people hid their faces. He was despised. We held him in low esteem. Now look at this verse, verse 4. Surely he took up our pain, bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. Look at verse 5. He was what? He was pierced. What do you do somebody with somebody on the cross? You pierce them and pin them to that tree. For, because he was pierced for our transgression, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him by his wounds. We are what? Healed. The Bible says this was going to happen. Remember we looked at Daniel chapter 9? They will cut off the anointed one. Remember that, Daniel 9? Put that with uh, Isaiah 53. What are you getting now? You're getting the understanding that Jesus Christ is going to fulfill this role. This is not an accident. This isn't somebody having a bad day and then trying to make it look good by going back to prophecy saying, well, I guess we can Nostadamus this into something that looks like Christianity. This is something happening in real time that is even confusing. Remember we talked about this as well last week. This is all introduction, by the way. We talked last week about how the disciples themselves were confused. If the disciples are the ones making up the religion, Peter's the main guy. Why is he the Oompa Loompa of the story? Show me one of the disciples that looks amazing. None of them look amazing. None of them get it. They're rebuked all the time for not getting it. The only ones that look amazing in the story are the women who believe after the resurrection. And the women at that time had no place in society. So let's tell a story about a dying, rising God, put it against the pantheon of Roman gods, and here's our heroes, women, who are the Oompa Loompas, our male disciples who you now see preaching. It makes no sense from a secular point of view to call Christianity an after-the-fact made-up religion. Any special you see on the History Channel that shows you that are full of Oompa Loompas. Are you listening to me? They have not explained away the data. What they have done is tried to hide their conscience and to put down the things of God so that they can live in unbelief. They want a reason to believe this is not true. They have a motivation. I don't have a motivation. You say, Pastor, you're up here. You're getting paid. No, listen to me. If this wasn't true, I'd be done. I'm not here playing make-believe. I am a converted Christian from drug addiction. Christianity saved me, changed me, and then proved itself to me over and over and over again. There is nothing like Christianity. As a matter of fact, the more you get into other religions, whether you hear the testimonies of our brothers and sisters from India or from Islamic countries or from Buddhism, they say the more they went into it, the more they did it, the worse it got. In Christianity, it's exactly the opposite. The more you study this, the more you invest your life into it, not into the make-believe of your friends and what you might have heard in Sunday school, but actually to the Bible itself, you see that there's nothing like it. You understand why Christianity, going back to the Hebrews notes, please, you understand why here he's talking to people that are alive, that are actually responsible in some ways for the death of Jesus, and he is saying, there is a new covenant, and y'all don't get it yet. You don't get it. Jesus rose from the dead. He spent 40 days with us. The reason why he didn't come talk to y'all is because y'all killed him the first time and he didn't want to destroy you this time. He didn't owe you that explanation. He came to us for 40 days and told us what we're now telling you. This is how you can understand it. Now, the first covenant had regulations for worship, and also an earthly sanctuary. A tabernacle was set up in its first room, where the lampstand and a table with its consecrated bread. This was called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a room called the most holy place, which had belonging to it the golden altar of incense and the gold covered ark of the covenant. These, this ark contained the gold jar of manna and Aaron's uh, staff that had budded, and the stone tablets of the covenant, That's the Ten Commandments. After Moses destroyed him, God gave him a new set. Above the ark was the cherubim of the glory overshadowing the, atone- overshadowing the atonement cover. But we cannot discuss these things in detail now. I love the author of Hebrews, keeping it cool. Now let's go to these pictures, please, so you can see it. When we look at this tabernacle, all of this is a picture of Jesus. Okay, Here we come to the brazen altar. Somebody say Jesus. Then we come to the brazen laver. Somebody say Jesus. Then we come to the menorah. Somebody say Jesus. Y'all get where we're going here. Table of showbread. Jesus. Altar of incense. Jesus. And the Ark of the Covenant. Jesus. So Jesus, 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 Jesus. And guess what? When we look at that, we see the image of man. Body, soul, and spirit. Outer. Court being the body, the soul being the inner holy of place, and the holy of holies being your spirit. Here, God in your body wants to sanctify you and cleanse you. In your soul, he wants to put the spirit, give you the bread of life, and have you offer up prayers to God, and then in your spirit be this close to God like the Ark of the Covenant. As Jesus was, so are now we. We are now made in the image of Jesus, reborn. Humanity was once like this. We once had the glory of God shining through us like a light bulb, but we sinned and partnered with the treacherous demons. After they were defeated, now the gospel goes forth, we get a choice to be reconciled to this. This now is spiritual. It was first a shadow, but now it is spiritually fulfilled. So think of Jesus, the spirit, showing us the shadow of the tabernacle right here. So Jesus is reflecting this, and they're making that in his reflection until he comes to earth. So what would you rather have, the phone or the shadow of the phone? Okay. So the Old Testament is a shadow. Jesus is the reality. Everybody tracking with me? Go to the other slide, please, so you can see now a little bit more detail here. This is the part that was on the inside. This is what they were doing as a form of worship. Everything now the Roman Catholic does tries to pretend to do this, but why go back to the shadow when now I have the reality? Where are the candles? In my spirit. Where's all the altars? Right here. Where's all the incense? My prayer. How do I smell? Do I have good prayer breath today? You see how they went back? They go back to this. No, no, no. This was the shadow. I don't need another shadow. The shadow has already had the fulfillment. Does everybody get that? Now that the phone is here, we don't go back to the shadow again. Let's keep the phone here. Here's the shadow of the phone coming, though, as it comes down over the Bible and so forth. But now that it's here, let's have no more shadows. That's why we don't need a temple and a tabernacle to look like this. And I and I understand they're not trying to be satanic. Most of them are not in the Illuminati, so don't believe everything you hear, okay? And the Da Vinci Code is, is, is silly. But what they're trying to do is go like, well, now that Jesus has come, we can redo all of these things and call them different names, and now we can have all the incense and stuff, and we can do it unto Jesus. And that was not the point. Hebrews is telling us not only is it not the point in the New Testament, this wasn't even the point in the Old Testament. This bread right here that the priest would eat was to get you hungry for the word of God. Man does not live on bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. You were not supposed to get excited with going with Iguala uh, to the, to the t- uh, church lighting a candle. You were supposed to see this and say, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. You were supposed to see the light of God inside of you. Amen. We were not supposed to look at this and say, how can we now replicate it and point it all towards Jesus? This was already a replication of, of, of who Jesus is, and now it's fulfilled in him. That's what Hebrews is saying. That's why when I say to Father Tom, Father Tom, show me in the New Testament I'm supposed to do what you do. Otherwise, I'll dress up in a purple scarlet robe and, uh, like mother, and you can call me Father too. I'll go into a dark closet and have people confess things to me when I should probably be confessing them to them. Are you listening? I said, are you listening? How many know many priests need to come out of the closet into the court lights and be making some confessions? Okay? So let's get out the closet. Let's do things under the light, as the Bible says. So here's the thing. No offense towards Roman Catholics. Most of them don't even know any better. Okay? But here's the point. Jesus, 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 Jesus. This priest did not need to talk to an angel. He just got to talk to Jesus. Why now in the new covenant would I want to talk to the angel Gabriel? I talked to Jesus. Are you listening to me? This, when this priest went in here, he didn't have to talk to one of the dead saints called Abraham. Why do I want to talk to a dead saint now? Are you listening, brothers and sisters? I need some amens or oh mines. Because if you've got some oh minds, I'll stay here a little bit longer. Your silence confuses me. Either grunt or say amen, okay? Okay, I'll stay here a little while. Are we hitting on something? I mean, because think about what the Roman Catholic religion looks like. We've all been there. I've got Catholic uh, relatives too, right? I mean, so they get this thing, and it looks beautiful, and the cathedrals are nice. I get it. I get it. There's a, a point to everything. But was that the point of the new covenant? No, the point of the new covenant was to fulfill the best things that were made of gold. I know that the Roman Catholic Church could have more money than all of this, but this was the best candelabra you would ever make. That's the best one. There was only one. That was it. That's the best one. And if Jesus says, that best one is nothing now compared to me, why are we still lighting candles that are less than that? Amen? Amen? Let me show you in Hebrews where the Bible, we've already been through it, but in Hebrews chapter 7, go there quickly, verse 18, the author of Hebrews, not dissing God, not putting down the old covenant, but in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 18, it's very clear to what it looked like in comparison to what we have now. The, form you, the former regulation is set aside because it was weak and what? Weak and what? Useless, for the law made nothing Perfect. And a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. So if the old covenant compared to Jesus is weak and useless, what do you think us in the new covenant trying to make it up as we go along is? It's weak and useless times 10. Amen? That's why when I talk to some of y'all and you want to be religious, I'm like, you're not even as religious as a monk. And you think that's going to get you somewhere? Because the monk's still going to hell unless they repent. Well, I fasted 10 days, Pastor. Look at how spiritual I am. Look at the Lent. Look, I went to a restaurant. The woman had the Ash Wednesday, the Lent. Oh, you know, starting the the season of Lent, Ash Wednesday. Oh, look at how religious I am. If all of the religion commanded by God in the Old Testament is weak and useless compared to the new covenant, what do you think you're your your head is. It's weak and useless. If my relationship to the one who sat over the Ark of the Covenant, if I try to do that with Moses now, is weak and useless. How much more weak and useless is St. Anthony? Well, just go ask St. Anthony. Maybe he'll help you find what you lost. That is weak and useless times 10. The new covenant is greater. It's better. I'm not mad at you. I'm mad at the devil. I want the Catholics to get free. Get free from religion. It's like a dead horse. Get on the, the F 18 of Jesus. Let's go somewhere. A dead horse can't take you anywhere. Religion is dead. He said it. I didn't say, is that inspired scripture? Yes or no? That's inspired scripture. And the inspired scripture said, that old covenant, as beautiful, go back up, because I heard that, that slide, please. Because I heard some people go, ooh, wow. As beautiful as that is, listen, he's talking to those people and they're seeing it alive. And he's saying, it's weak and useless. Could you, ima- Could you imagine how that would offend a Jewish person at that time? How dare you? How dare you? Oh, Dios mio. Who do you think you are insulting our religion like that? I'm telling you, I talked to Roman Catholics. They're just like the Jews of that day. How dare you insult the mother of Guadalupe's water stain under the bridge? That is the mother of Guadalupe right there under that bridge. I went there to preach to people because I love them. I'm like, come on, people. It's a water stain. What are we doing? It's weak and useless. You can't can't take it out and put it home, take it home with you. But I can take Jesus with me. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. That's the new covenant. Please, I don't say it to be insulting. It may be funny, but that's not even my intention. It's to be truthful. Going back to the notes, please. You see all of this happening here. It's beautiful. It is. It's beautiful. It's a picture of Christ. We don't mock it. We don't ridicule it. Even when he says it's weak and useless, he wasn't saying that for the time. What he's saying is now. Christ has come. Remember that the gospel says the temple veil split in two. The Holy Spirit is now being poured out on the day of Pentecost. All of those things that I was going through before and you guys were getting a little bored when I was like, Jesus is the Passover lamb. Jesus, remember all that? You guys remember? That's the reason for the seasons. That was, Jesus is not just the reason for one season. Jesus is the reason for all seasons. And we need to share that with our brothers and sisters of different faiths, uh, different Christian faiths. If they're they're not in the Christian faith, they're not a brother or sister. But you hear my heart. I do think there are genuine believers in the Orthodox, Catholic, etc. Most of them probably aren't, just like most in the church are not. But listen, that doesn't mean we're, we're saying to them we're better than them. What we're saying is there's a better covenant. This covenant has something better than going to a temple tabernacle with a bunch of things plated in gold. Keep going with me. Look at what it says, verse five. Above the ark was the cherubim of glory, overshadowing, overshadowing the uh, atonement cover. But we can't discuss those things now. So he had to keep moving. I'm going to keep moving. Verse 6. When everything had been arranged like this, what we had saw, the priests entered into the outer room to carry on their ministry. So show them the outer room, please. Um, yes, they could only come into this room every day. That's the only one they could come to every day. But let's go back now. But the ark of the covenant place, the holy place, the high priest entered into that inner room only once a year. During the Day of Atonement, and never without blood, which he offered for himself and for the sins of the people that they had committed in ignorance. Now, going back there, please, uh, to this holy place. This is the holy place. That's where they could come after, you know. And out there was the sacrifice and the labor, and they could come in here and the priests—only the priests, by the way—and you had to be legit as a priest to do all of that. So. No one else got to do that. And then out of those priests, only one of them got to go in there once a year. So imagine you being in the nation of Israel. Can someone go to my office and get that picture I have of the glory off the wall, please? Thank you, uh, Andre. You guys can help Berto. Uh, Check this out. They would sleep and live around the temple, okay, Uh, the tabernacle. It became a temple when they got to their land, but when they were in the wilderness, it was a tabernacle like this, a tent basically. Now imagine this. There's 12 other tribes, okay? Only the Levites could be allowed to do this stuff. Then out of the Levi tribe, only so many of them could do the actual thing in the temple. What most of the Levites did was like worship and carry the stuff. Seriously, like just imagine that. Do I get to go in the temple? No, son, we just carry the temple. How many know that would be a sad day to figure it out? Like you're a little kid. Hey, I'm a Levite. I won the lottery of the tribes. I get to hang out with God. Well, hold up a minute. We're the Levites who clap and sing songs around there. We're not of the actual family that gets to go in there. Now, imagine you're the one that can actually go in there. You had to be without blemish. You had to be the Brad Pitt of your community. First of all, you had to be a male, and you had to be the Brad Pitt. Let's give it up for this dude holding up that picture. Amen. Now, if you could turn and face them, because I've seen it before, that would be awesome. You see that, everybody go, ooh, I like that ooh and on right there. Look at that. That's how they live. So there you got your, you got your tribes right there. I keep that over my desk to remind me who's, who this all belongs to. Amen? Yeah, they want to see it, my brother. Now think about this. You can't go there. You're not, you're not in the tribe of Levi. If you're in the tribe of Levi, you're from the wrong family, you gotta, and you've got to be a male and all this and that. And then let's say you're in the priestly family of the tribe of Levi. Then you could go in there only up until that point to the Ark of the Covenant. You can only go into the place known as the holy place. And now, if you are the high priest and you get to go into the holy of holies, how many times a year do you get to go there? Once. Thank you, my brothers. Give it up for him. He did amazing. Think about why David said, better is one day in your house than a thousand years elsewhere. Think about why David said, I'd rather dwell in the house of the Lord than dwell a thousand anywhere else, you know? Better is to be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord. Why do you think he's making those statements? Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord except he who has clean hands and a pure heart? See, David wasn't even a Levite. David was from the tribe of Judah. David couldn't even do that. David was like, man, I just want to be a doorkeeper. Go back to the other one, please. This is where David said he could go, and this is where he liked being. David said, I like being right here. He couldn't even go into here. He couldn't go into there, and certainly couldn't go. He said, I like being right here. I would rather be right here. One day, than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper here than dwell in the tents of the wicked. Think about that. Think about how amazing that was for them. Now we come into the new covenant, we come to church, and we're bored. You have what the saints of old wish they had. Abraham wishes he had what you have. Do you understand that? The Bible said. I said, do you all understand that? The Bible says they looked at this. They wanted this. They were hoping for this. They were praying for this. They knew there had to be more than just a physical temple. They knew that their God who was showing up doing mighty things was more than just what was confined in that space. Going back to our scriptures, please. Notice what he says to them. He says to them, everything was arranged like this. The priest could only enter a certain amount of times right? into certain places. Now verse 8, the Holy Spirit was showing by this. What was the Holy Spirit showing by this? That the way into the most holy place had not yet been disclosed as long as the first tabernacle was still functioning. So as long as that covenant was around, that's the way it had to be. And the Holy Spirit was putting into their hearts and minds there needed to be more. Verse 9, this is an illustration for the what time? The present time. So what what must you have at the present time? A temple. You got to have the priest, right? This is an illustration right now for the present times. The author, Paul, who I believe wanted you to, to walk around Jerusalem and see what they were doing and go, look at it. Look at it. Don't make fun of them. Love on them. But understand that this is going to be over pretty soon. It's going to disappear. This is an illustration for the present time, indicating that the gifts and sacrifice being offered were not able to clear the conscience of the worshiper. They are only a matter of food and drink and various ceremonial washings, external regulations applying until the time of the new order. Everybody say, new world order and do the triangle. <laughs> Yo, you bunch of Illuminati doing what you're told. I know he's like, whoa, what's pastor do? He finally showed it. Get the screenshot, put it up. My pastor's in Illuminati. I know people have talked about our triangle. Because what's the new world order? It's baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. The triangle doesn't belong to goofy, wacky people called the Illuminati and the all-seeing eye. It belongs to our God, and I'm in my God. You see, they take things and rip it off. And the new order is not what they're thinking about building a new government in that way. It's the theocracy of Jesus Christ. The new order is coming through the triangle of the Father, Son, and the Spirit. And I hope you get to be in Him. Amen? That's why we have our triangle there because we're in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We are in the triune God setting up a new order. The new order is of the commands of God in the New Testament. The New Testament commands of God are summarized in loving God and loving people. From there, we keep all of the moral laws about sexuality. Those are the same from the old to the new. We keep all the moral laws about loving our neighbor, not murdering our neighbor. How many are happy that still applies? Okay, so when they look at our Old Testament, they go, Well, you guys, you say homosexuality is wrong from Leviticus, but then you eat pork, and that also says it's wrong. They don't understand. In the new order, we don't keep the ceremonies, but we keep the morals. How many know if I get a new order in my house, my kids still can't kill each other? But here's the new order. You can stay up to 10 instead of 9, right? Instead of me bathing you, you bathe yourself. How many know that's a new order, but you all still keep the same morals, or they keep the same morals? Just because there's a new order from the old to the new, there's a changing of ceremonies doesn't mean there's a changing of morals, so when they say this to us, we tell them, let me explain it to you. You know, Jack Black making fun of us on Saturday Night Live, having Jesus eat shrimp, and then saying, that's why I'm down with homosexuality. <laughs> we explained it to you, and you weren't paying attention, Jack Black. The reason why we can eat whatever we want is because Jesus, the one who gives us the old order and the new order, told us in the new order we can eat whatever we want. In the new order, he said we could pick what day we want to celebrate on, and Christians pick the day of his resurrection, Sunday. Sunday. We can choose on what other days we want to celebrate. There is no required days anymore, like new moons, like Sabbath, like the Passover. You all tracking with me? Go to Colossians chapter 3 if you don't believe me. Jesus taught us this while he was on earth, and his apostles taught us this. But then guess what else he reiterated? That in the beginning he made them what? Male and female. That a man should leave his family and be united to his what? His wife, and the two shall become one. The reason why Jesus didn't have to say homosexuality is a sin is the same reason Jesus didn't have to say bestiality is a sin. The same reason why you didn't have to say rape was a sin. Rape, bestiality, homosexuality all go in the category of perversion. Jesus was very clear. There's only one original version of sex. Amen? Man and woman. Everybody tracking with me? Somebody say preach it. Preach it. Amen. I'm trying. I'm trying here. Come on. Go to Ephesians, uh, Colossians chapter 2, rather, verse 16. This is not my words. These are the words of the apostles, and they learned this from Jesus. Therefore, do not, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or what you drink, or with regard to religious vessels. Was I summarizing that pretty good for you guys? That's kind of what I was saying before a new moon celebration or a Sabbath day. These are a what? You remember hearing that illustration before? We're reading the text now, where I got that illustration from. These are a shadow of things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Hallelujah. Let's go back to uh, Hebrews. Looking back here, these were shadows. Now we're in the new order. Verse 11. But when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are now already here, because it's here now. He went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands. That is to say, is not a part of creation. What temple did he enter into? The one where? In heaven. All right. Y'all got that? It got quiet in this Presbyterian church. Any Pentecostals in here? He didn't go to the earthly one, the one that we just saw. Which one did he go to? He went to the one in heaven. That's said in chapters before. I hope that you guys have been paying attention. If not, we'll park here for a while. Because in the previous chapter, it told us that Moses made the earthly one based off the one he saw in heaven. God said to Moses, make this after the pattern you see in heaven. Now, verse 12, he did not enter by means of blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal what? Redemption. That's why, even though I believe Christians can stop being Christians, Christians who want to be a Christian will be one for eternity. So there's a difference between what once saved, always saved people say and what I say, so just uh, what people like myself say. So just understand the difference. I believe you can walk away from Christianity. Okay, Jesus is not a divine kidnapper. He doesn't get you into the van, luring you in with some candy, get you in the van, and be like, "Angel, shut the door, let's go," and then he takes you off to heaven. You can never get out. You can get out of that van at any time, and he's not luring you in. I like to think of it like a cruise bus. Okay, anybody been on one of those? I I flew in one time, had to go to Tahoe, and then I got on one of those little cruise buses. You know, they're bringing you hors d'oeuvres and different things. You're in the bus, you're having fun. Have you ever been on something like that? Nobody? I'm the only one. Okay, I guess I live a bougie life. That's the way I look at it. Now, at any point, I could say, get me out of this box! I don't like it. It's too nice, and everybody's too cool. Let me walk on the side of the road. You can do that. That's what it's like to backslide. You can say, I'm done being pure. I'm done being holy. I want to go back out and live with the dogs and the pigs and ruin my whole life over again. God will be like, okay, hop out. But notice what he promises anybody who stays on the bus, anybody whose heart, no matter how weak it is, no matter how often they get tempted, no matter what they deal with in their ups and downs, because we've all gone through it, what does he promise them? Eternal redemption. So it's not by my strength, it's not by my discipline, I remain a Christian. This is all I have to do to remain a Christian, just say, yes, I want to stay on the bus. Even as a Christian, if I sin, David sinned the worst sin, committed adultery, had the man murdered, then commit, you know, murder, adultery. God still had mercy on him. This is why we believe even Jeffrey Dahmer can go to heaven. Anyone, like a thief on the cross, last minute can go to heaven. You have to want it, though, and you can't just use it as a get-out-of-hell free card. If you really want it, you can receive it. Now, you'll go to heaven with very little rewards, but you'll get there. And so for us, we can take comfort in that. Like, as long as I want it, I can have salvation, but we shouldn't abuse it, and we're going to get into that in the next chapter as we get into Hebrews 10, 26, one of our favorite verses around here, if we go on sinning willfully, right? After having received the knowledge of the truth, there therefore remains no sacrifice for sins. Okay, So you'll see there's a time when God goes, dude, I'm done. It's time to move on. And that's a scary place to be. But until then, until your heart gets hardened and you betray like Jesus, uh, Judas, because remember, the difference between Judas and Peter was one wanted to come back, the other one just wanted to end their life. So as long as you can come back like Peter and say, I'm sorry, Jesus will always restore. Amen? Amen. So notice what it says. We get eternal redemption. Verse 13, the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of the heifer sprinkled on those who were ceremonially unclean, sanctified them so that they were outwardly clean. See, that's where they get Ash Wednesday from. That was actually a thing they did. The priest, going back to that picture, please, my brother, I appreciate you're doing awesome. a uh, priest would go to the sacrifice, take the ash, and as people would come up and wipe it on them on the Day of Atonement. That was a part of their cleansing. Do you see that in the New Testament anywhere? No, so why are we going back to the shadow Ash Wednesday? It's not there, but it was there in the Old Testament. What was it to represent? An outward cleaning. Going back to the notes, please. That's why it was there. Those traditions were a part of that. Now, what does he say? Verse 14. Can I have some water, please? Thank you. How much more then will the blood of Christ, see, not the ashes, but the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from the acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. Thank you, my brother. Ask your neighbor, do you have the blood of Jesus? Amen, because that's more important than having ash on your head, right? Isn't that what the Bible says? I'm just making sure we're going through the Bible study together. I remember one one person invited a Catholic friend of theirs, and they asked him, how did you think about the church? And And the person said, you know, in comparison to the Roman Catholic church, I felt like I was in a Bible study. And I could see why someone would think that. Because in our church, we can get emotional and preach. Trust me, we'll do that a lot. But my most important priority here is to teach you the word of God. I'm learning it with you, but I want you to see it. Do you see why at one point ashes were put on people? Do you see that there? You never see that after Jesus as a part of what the church does. What does the church do? The church applies the blood of Jesus spiritually over their heart, which some may think, well, that's only spiritual. I want the physical. No, in the Bible, the spiritual is always more powerful. In other words, do you want just the outside to look clean or do you want your actual heart to be clean? You see, that's the difference. The difference is, and the way I like to look at it is, Roman Catholicism and religions like that teach you how to obey the stop sign, how to look at these things, get all these symbols back in your life, look at signs, look at symbols. New covenant is the policeman rides with you in the car while you drive. Do you see the difference? One is like an external way of obeying things. I'm obeying it because of this, and I see this as a symbol. Christianity, being born again, means Jesus is right here now. It's not a place I visit. It's not a thing that I do. It's, it's who I am. Christ is here. Christ is with me when I come to church. Christ is with me when I leave church. Christ is with my life from beginning to end. The religious aspects, yeah, they can serve a purpose. A holiday can remind us of his birth or his death, burial, and resurrection. But that's not the point of Christianity is our holidays, our holy days. The point of Christianity is having your conscience cleansed by the blood of Jesus and knowing that you're a new person. For this reason, Christ is the mediator, the go-between of a new covenant. There you get that word now, covenant, deal, agreement. That those who are called may receive the promise of an eternal inheritance. Now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. We all were sinners according to that covenant. Most of us, not Jews. Most of us told lies blaspheme, took the name of the Lord in vain, disobeyed our parents. How many of y'all made a mess of the Ten Commandments? Okay, idol worshipers put things before God. So we, even though we were not Israelites, we still needed forgiveness for our sins. That's why when Jesus preached, the first thing that he starts preaching is repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Return back to God and stop doing your sins. That's what repentance is. Now, verse 16, in the case of a will, it is necessary to prove the death of the one who made it. Because a will is in force only when somebody has died, it never takes effect while the one who made it is living. So, if Jesus is going to make a new covenant, somebody or something has to die. In the old covenant, the death was of an animal. In the new covenant, it's of Jesus. Amen? That's what he's saying. This is why even the first covenant, just make sure the preacher's preaching right, right? I mean, check me here. This is why even the first covenant was not put into effect without blood. When Moses had proclaimed every command of the law to all the people, what did he do? He started killing some animals. Okay, you all understand these commands? Yeah, we understand them. Guess what? You've broken a whole bunch of them. Kill that thing right there. We're going to put the blood over everything, including you. That sounds crazy, but imagine being a part of that church service. (laughs) Seriously. Hey, bring that cow over here. Moo. What do you all want with me? Moo. We're going to sacrifice you. (laughs) Blood pouring out everywhere. Priests dancing around, singing songs to God. Y'all think you were in a cult. I'm being serious. I'm just being... Man, there was blood over the priest and the whole entire time slicing animals. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. <laughs> Come on with your blood on you. I'm serious. You think I'm trying to make it funny? I'm just being, I'm, I'm helping you understand. It was a blood, bloody mess. You're getting blood on you. Everything in that altar, everything uh, in the Holy of Holies is getting blood put over. Hiss up is a branch, which you're gonna learn in just a moment. He put the blood on the branch and was just putting it on everything animal blood. Now, I own that. See, people get ashamed of my God, and they say, well, you think we're crazy as witches doing this? No, 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 no. I don't think you're crazy as a witch because you mess with blood. You're just messing with the wrong one. See, there's a reason why witches know there's power in blood. But they're using the wrong one. I got the power of the blood of Jesus. Hallelujah. The power of the blood of Jesus that puts down every demon and devil and any sacrifice a, a witch has made. And we love them and want to see them saved. But you see, that's the reason why every religion, go back in history of every religion, there was blood somewhere. There's a sacrifice somewhere. There's a priest somewhere. Why is that? They all go back to Noah. If we're all from one race the human race, we go to Adam's time, then they lived wicked as the world grew, destroyed during Noah's flood. And who's left? No one is family, and they told the stories about Noah and his family. We got to have priests. We got to have animals. We got to have blood. That goes back to Adam and Eve, being naked, being covered by sacrifice, and moving out from there. So that's why the blood of the first covenant, or excuse me, the first covenant was not put into effect until there was blood. When Moses had proclaimed every command of the law to the people, he took the blood of calves together with water, scarlet wool, and branches of hyssop, and sprinkled the what? Sprinkled the scroll with blood and all the... No, no, Moses, I'm a vegan. No, no, Moses. <clears throat> Icky. He's like, you want to be in this covenant? You better get a whip of up across your face. You know, blood getting in your lips. I'm just being honest, tasting it on your lips. I mean, you would taste it, you would smell it. How many have ever smelled real blood before? How many have been around it? My people, the Polish people, have blood soup. I mean, this is, to us, nasty. There's a reason why we try to avoid this in the modern culture. But notice what we also miss. We miss this next verse. This is the blood of the covenant, covenant which God has made you to keep commanded you to keep. See, we miss that when that blood came out, this meant you don't keep it, you die. That's why we're disgusted. Why are we disgusted by blood? Because it means somebody died, somebody's in trouble, going to die. There's something about when the insides come out, we get scared because insides are supposed to stay inside. Right? How many have seen that before? Like you're in a high school class and you see some blood, you about faint. My wife was going to be a nurse. She was going to study. She almost fainted. Why? Because when we see inside stuff outside, somebody's in trouble. Your nature kicks in. Something's in trouble. That's why we look at the scriptures and we go, something's in trouble. Somebody's in trouble. And who is it? It's us. And he said, you know what? This is all preparing you for when Jesus comes. So that's why the animal got sacrificed because Jesus was soon going to come. In the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tabernacle and everything used in its ceremonies. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. That's why most religions, I should say outside of Christianity, no religion can forgive because they have no blood. Or they don't have the right one. Islam, no blood. Hinduism, some blood, but the wrong one. Buddhism, no blood. Judaism has blood, wrong one. Christianity is the only one that has the blood of the right one, Jesus Christ. Do not ever get grossed out by that thought. That thought is what gives you, I mean, that truth behind that thought is what gives us life. They understood, God understood when he made us, that every part of your veins would be pumping blood to make that work. Your heart work, your brain work, it all needs blood. Oxygen goes to blood. I'm not really big into this stuff, but I think I said enough there you all get, right? We need blood. And when that stuff spilled out, that was because we sinned. And what Jesus was saying is, I'm going to cleanse you with my blood. I'm going to shed that for you. It was necessary then, if, uh, rather, it was necessary then for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these sacrifices, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. Remember we talked about the copy and where the original was? There you go. There's another verse that says the originals were in heaven. Verse 24, for Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with human hands, that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself, now to appear for us in God's presence. Nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again and again. That's what the Roman Catholic uh, seance of their mass and the transubstantiation and the literal body and blood of Jesus, it's like offering Jesus up again and again and again. That's why they had to take such special care of it, because they believe that's literally his body and blood, okay? That is... Is not what's going on. It's not offered again and again and again. He said he did not do that again and again. The way the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood that's not his own. That's how they did it. They had to do it over and over. Otherwise, Christ would have to suffer many times since the creation of the world. Do you know why Protestants have Jesus off the cross and they have it on the cross? Him on the cross is because that's what they're idolizing. The weak, emaciated, white, Brad Pitt-looking Jesus. <sighs> and they're kissing on. that's not my Jesus first of all my Jesus never looked like that but my Jesus is not on the cross he is raised from the dead he ain't bleeding anymore he's not suffering anymore he's at the right hand of the throne of God waiting to come back and trample on the enemies so when you get an image in your mind, don't get an image of an emaciated Jesus up there feeling sorry for you today. Yes, I know that shows his love when we look at the, you know, the passion of the Christ. But that's not how you're supposed to imagine him. Read Revelation chapter 1. His face is brighter than the sun. His face is shining and is glorious. He is standing in the presence of his father with a sword in his hand. Amen, but we're not supposed to be making images for worshiping him to begin with. Remember those guys back in the Old Testament, that still applies now. That's a moral law. We don't make images to worship. You want to dress up like Jesus or on a play, you want to have a picture in your house, that's okay. But don't ever look to those images like you're kissing them, giving them affection, because they are worthless. Remember, if those things were worthless, how much more so is that white European Jesus worthless? Amen? I love you. And I want you to hear the truth because what's more important than a worthless picture of a man with long hair on your, you know, above your kitchen table? What's more important is having the blood of Jesus in your conscience. Amen. That's what I want my Catholic relatives to have. And I know I picked them a little bit today because it's relative to the subject. He didn't do this again and again and again. He's not like them. This is not religion. This is the real deal. Once Christ had suffered, uh, one uh, otherwise Christ would have to suffer many times. But look at this. But he has appeared once for all. How many times? Once for all at the accumulation of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. And in closing now, quickly, abandoned altar workers, would you come please? Just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment, So Christ was sacrificed how many times? Once to take away the sins of many. He will appear again. What? A second time not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Can I hear an amen for the word of God today? Come on, do you love it? Thank you, Jesus. That's chapter 9 of Hebrews. If you could leave that up there. In closing today, brothers and sisters, I want to ask you, are you prepared to die? because that's how it ends it's scary I know it sounds crazy but I got to ask you that are you prepared to die are you prepared to meet your maker look at how that ends so you see animals dying that's to show us that Jesus is going to die but why did animals die so that Jesus would die because we're going to die think about it animals died to show us Jesus is going to die but why did animals and Jesus die because we're going to die We are going to die. Our blood is going to spill out. Our life is going to end. And all that picture that they had in the Old Testament of the tabernacle and all of those things was to show us how to live forever. Going back to that picture, please, my brother. Thank you. This is a picture of heaven. This is a picture of what our Jesus is like. And so we're supposed to understand now that when we die as Christians, we don't just die and stop existing or get punished, but we get to live forever in God's presence. We get to be around the throne of God. What is around the throne of God in the book of Revelation? The altar, the Lamb of God, Jesus. And what is Jesus doing there? He's applying to all of his people his sacrifice. The only reason why Abraham got to go to heaven was because of Jesus' sacrifice. The Roman Catholics talk about the treasury of merit. The reason why they have people pray to saints is because they say, you're not good enough. They are so good, they have extra. So when you pray to them, they get to go out of their treasury of merit and give it to you. Trust me, I've studied this very in-depthly. I understand it more than just the ridiculousness of it. So what is their mentality? Their mentality is, I don't belong there. But I guess Peter belongs there. And since Peter's way better than me, Peter can help me get closer because he has more merit to give me. That's why I need to talk to Peter. So it's like, hey, Peter, Peter, hey, man, I know you're at the gates, but can you get me in there, man? Yeah, I got some extra merit for you. I got some extra. That's the exact opposite of what Christianity teaches. When you were in the Old Testament and you saw that, you weren't supposed to be like, I want to pray to the priest now. No, no, no. You were supposed to say, God, I want to know you more. God, I want to go past that curtain and I want to be in there. And if you were the priest that had the honor to go into the most holiest of place once a year, you weren't supposed to be like, well, I'm glad that's done. That was a busy time of my life. You know, I had to do a lot of work around this time, and i just go back to normal. No, you were supposed to be like, I don't want to leave. I don't want to leave here. God, why do I have to go? Because here's where it feels like I was made to live. C.S. Lewis says it like this. If you're hungry, it shows you have an appetite. If you're stressed out, it shows that you want to figure out a problem. And he said it like this in the form of a question. But if we all long for heaven, where is the appetite for that? Even non-believers, they say, oh, I wish it was true. I wish. Why do we all have a appetite, a wish to be with God? Even atheists say, yeah, if it was true, I wish I could be with God. Yeah, I wish I could be in a better place. And his point was, the same way your appetite, you know it's real because you're hungry, is the same way you're supposed to look at your soul and go, it's real because it's hungry. But it's not hungry for food. It's hungry for the spirit. And that's what it looked like for them. What it looks like for us is here's a temple. Here's a temple. Here's a temple. Here's a temple. And God is living in them. And I hope, brothers and sisters, he's living in you. Because the Bible says, when we take off this body, when we take off this tent, I can almost see myself zipping out of this, when you come out of this, you come into glory. And when I go to heaven, because remember, we're supposed to pray, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I've heard other preachers say this, and I hope it to be true, that when we step out of this world into that world, we feel at home. We feel like what this was was the woolly sweater on a spring day when it couldn't decide what the weather would be. And you went to the restaurant and they have it kicking at 80 degrees. Sorry, but that's just me sometimes. And, and you can't wait to get home and take off the hoodie and just get in your normal clothes. I hope that when I get to heaven and I take off this flesh, I go, oh, I'm home. This is what I was made for. I was made to be in his presence. I was made to hear his voice. I was never made to be separated by all of this. I was meant to walk with him in the cool of the day in the Garden of Eden. But we messed it up, but now I'm back again because of Jesus. Father, we pray right now that everyone will come back home to you. First and foremost in this service, that you'll make our spirits new, that we'll know that you're real, and you'll prepare us for the day we have to meet you. If you're here today and you don't yet know Jesus, would you ask the Lord to be your sacrifice? Ask His blood, uh, ask Him to uh, send His blood to cleanse your heart and to make you a new creation. We'll stand in worship and close in just a moment. But right now, everybody search their heart. Has your heart been cleansed by the blood like how they were actually wiped with blood back in the day? Lord, do it again in us. Anyone that's sinned since being a Christian or you're backsliding or maybe continual sin, ask the Lord right now to get that junk out. Lord, cleanse me, cleanse me. Make my conscience clean, whether it's in your marriage, in your family, on your job, on the computer. Lord, cleanse my conscience with your blood right now. A few moments right now, everyone, including myself, search your heart. Let the Spirit take the, the stick, the hyssop, the branch. And start putting the blood over you today as the bleach of heaven to make you whiter than snow. Right now, Father, cleanse me. Purify me by the blood of Jesus. May I not leave out here the same way I came. May my neighbors know that I'm different. May my life look differently on the outside as well as the in. May my thoughts be different. Lord, I want to be home in heaven right now. But until I get there, Lord, bring heaven to me. Come on, we've seen too much hell on earth. How many want some heavenly thoughts today? I'm not saying your life is going to be easy. I'm not saying it all disappears. We're not talking about some shallow manifesting here. I'm just talking about the reality. You want to pray the Lord's Prayer. Lord, let your kingdom come right now. I wish I could go there, but I'm not there. So would you bring it here? Would you show me what your kingdom looks like in my family, Lord? I want to see peace. Would you show me, Lord, in our city, on our streets, in our government, in our schools? We pray for your kingdom to come, oh God. We feel away from you. We feel like something's wrong, God. We're hungering and we can't just quite fix that appetite. We can't get that satisfaction. We've tried so many things in this culture, Lord. We pray that you will satisfy. You will satisfy our young people. Let the hungers of their hearts, oh God, be satisfied by your presence few moments right now, we'll dismiss, but I sense the Lord moving. God, do it in our hearts and in our lives so that we're never the same again. If you're sensing God moving your life, would you just begin to stand up and raise your hands and thank Him for His presence. Thank Him for the blood that was shed for you. We'll be celebrating Easter in, in a little bit, but you can thank Him right now as we begin to stand. Just worship Him in your own words. It may be strange to you, but just tell Him, thank you, gracias, Señor, and name the things that you're thankful for because of the change because of the blessing, because of the promise. Lord, we don't ever want to be the same again. May the blood wash us clean. Wash us clean. Wash clean my attitude. Wash clean my stinking thinking, oh God. Wash my brain right now, God, so it's cleansed. Remove the the hurt of the past. Remove, oh God, the bitterness towards my enemy. Right now. I pray for every person here. We'll dismiss, and just after this prayer, just after this, if you want to come for prayer, these brothers and sisters don't stand above you as any kind of priest. They stand with you as a brother or sister. So if they can be of help and of service, they would love to pray for you or anyone in your family. And if you want to stay in worship, you can worship with us. Otherwise, we'll dismiss after this. Father, I thank you that today's message brought us to the understanding of what it was like to be a Jew back then but even greater to be a Christian now. We pray, O oh God, for our Roman Catholic friends and family, that they will come out of the useless and the worthless and come to that which is most precious, to the blood of Jesus. We pray for the divine move of your spirit across our land and for us as Christians to not be ashamed of our morals, but to live them out by the power of the blood and to see others live it out so that you can come back to a a clean and a pure church, a spotless bride in your second coming. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Can you bless him, saints, if you're going to be ready? When he returns, God bless you. Have a wonderful week. You are dismissed.